The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited, trading on the CNSX as XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur Resources is a Toronto-based emerging junior gold producer focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines that include a gold mine currently producing in Zacatecas, Mexico. Dudley Baker is the editor of CommonStockWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be here, Ellis. We've had some interesting news come from our sponsor, Excalibur Resources. It seems they've obtained 100% control of the Pinos District, where their claims are held in Zacatecas State, Mexico. Right, right, exactly. You may recall, and our listeners may recall, we made a, a site visit just last month, weeks ago, and this was kind of one of my personal concerns. It was structured as a, as a 51%, 49% joint venture, of which Excalibur at the time just had 49%. And the question always becomes, well, what if, what about? and everything, what if something happens to that 51% partner and whether you would actually have say-so in what happens to that 51%. Excalibur now has acquired 100% of all those mining claims there in the in the Pinos mining district. To me, is a big deal. It's Skoda Geo that does a lot of work with me that was on the tour with us. He was impressed by that, and so it's a good deal. It's a, it's a big relief that now Excalibur has 100%. So... That's cool. I mean, we kind of liked the story. We liked where Excalibur was going with the story anyway, but this just uh, makes us feel much, much better. And of course, Excalibur is our sponsor here on this segment, so we're not just rah, 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 and for the hell of rah, 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 and I think we really got some good news here, so that's cool. And we both, as a disclaimer, have a financial interest in this company. Right, right. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is proudly sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited. Excalibur Resources is one of the best performing mining companies trading on CNSX under the symbol XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur is focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines. It's a unique strategy called micro-mining, seeking shallow, high-grade, existing, and historic gold deposits, the best strategy in recently depressed markets. The company is focused on the Cataneva Gold Project in the Pinos Bonanza Gold District in Zacatecas, Mexico. 
Initial production in the Monera Cantoneva mine is about 50 tons per day with one shift and is expected to expand to 150 tons per day with three shifts. Excalibur has a stated goal to pay dividends, and with a 16 cent share price, the intended yield would be 6.25%. Learn more about Excalibur Resources by visiting their website, ExcaliburResources.ca, or be sure to click on the Excalibur logo on the homepage of our website, EllismartReport.com. In other news, Dudley, while these mining stocks continue to struggle, and some of them look good for the long haul, we have another sponsor that you've also invested in, and I'm a shareholder as well. They've more than doubled in the past month in share price. It's a wild story, isn't it, that I have just tiptoed into with a position. Psychic Friends Network, right? Who would think? Who would think? So basically, I understand when you got started, the shares were actually trading below one cent. And now we're a little over two cents. Now, I know that's not impressive maybe to some of the readers, but let's put it this way is how many resource stocks have doubled in, say, the last month. It's pretty interesting situation. What's the symbol on that? PFNI. Yeah, trading in, in the U.S. Fair liquidity. Any of the, the shares, whether it's Excalibur or the Psychic Friends, I just me personally always suggest people use uh, limit orders so there'll be no surprises. That's just what I do on any of my transactions now is, is all limit orders. But it is a, an interesting story, and, and when somebody looks at the news, yeah, there's some good news items coming out on the Psychic Friends. So you might say is is bizarre, weirdo, that you want to think. Uh, it's one of those things that, I don't know, for a penny, two pennies or whatever, it's like, you, how can you back away? It's intriguing. It's a company that they're dusting it off. They're bringing things back. And the potential, I see, is pretty awesome for shareholders to basically be able to get in here in the ground floor. And again, obviously, I guess you always got to say it's a high-risk situation. So you're not betting the farm on these deals. But to me, it's a high-potential reward for an investor to put a few dollars in the companies like this. And that gets a little diversification, you might say, outside of the resource sector as well. Well, evidently, friends, acquaintances, strangers, listeners, readers, and who knows who are investing because the stock is so cheap. The story is nostalgic, and they've got a new rollout planned, and it's just plain kind of a goofy, cool thing to do. I know people might shake their head if they're saying, what the hell are Ellis and Dudley talking about? But I know this is one of your uh, fairly recent uh, new clients, and so you're you're really engaged in assisting the company here with the comeback, etc. And I don't know, for me, I always have my eyes open to any investment opportunity. Put it this way, we're here to make money, right? As investors in the market, whether that's the resource sector, whether that's in other sectors out there. But when you've got a stock that when we became aware of it at around a penny, now it's at two cents still. I mean, <laughs> the question is two cents going where, right? And so it seems like it's just got, but this story is just starting here. And it has a, an incredible amount of upside potential. I just think anybody that cautiously walks in here and, and puts a few dollars to work just could possibly be the easiest 10 bagger you ever had in your life, you know? So that's what we're all looking for is those those 500 to 1,000% to potentials, you know, and uh, where we can make some pretty nice money. Well, you got in at one cent, so if it goes up to 10 cents, that's all 
already a 10 bagger for you and you've already doubled your money in just a few weeks at two cents yeah that's pretty cool yeah i'm, I'm obviously when i come into any investment i'm a long-term player so i'm not looking to scalp a couple of dollars here at the moment you know you get to eight to ten cents you might think well if we're fortunate and we get to eight to ten cents you may think about selling a small piece of your position and taking all of your cost out maybe with a small profit and just let it ride and see how this story develops i think all of us regardless of the sector we're looking for opportunities we're looking for a way to make money this is the the key keep your eyes open to any opportunities out there is my message we have to dig deep to find them sometimes although i found out about this one through a network of folks i know in the financial arena it just came up during dinner conversation and now i'm representing them so you never know when or where or how the opportunities are going to arise but you have to pay attention and be open for them. Before long, everyone is going to know about the Psychic Friends Network all over again and that they're publicly traded, and they'll think the stock is a bargain at even a dollar potentially. Well, uh, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. So it's always risk-reward, and each individual making those decisions for themselves. Don't let a kind of a awkward investment in some people's mind is like, so what are you talking about? I mean, why, why would you do that? We're looking at it. It's intriguing. It's a brand new, basically a, an old business that's being dusted off and brought back to life. And this is what excites me. It's worked before years ago. Apparently the company made some really good money and now they're dusting it off using the new technology, I guess, with what the iPhones, the iPads and all of this stuff with the psychic greetings. It's just kind of a out of the box situation, you know, when it crossed my path. And as I say, you know, living here in Mexico, it's like, por qué no? Why not? Why not consider this? Why not put a few bucks at it? And let's face it, it's say two cents. I mean, you can take a nice position, whatever that means to people, 50,000 shares, 100,000 shares and you're talking about a relatively small amount of money and you put it over to the side and see what happens all right then psychic friends network pfni and dudley and i are both shareholders speaking of mexico dudley you've been down there quite a while would you call yourself an expatriate? Oh, I guess I'm about as expatriate as you can possibly get. I'm going on my 15th year here in Ajijic, Mexico. So it's in the state of Jalisco. We're just outside of Guadalajara. I love it. Beautiful area, number one. We just had a monster rainstorm this morning, and we're way up in the mountains. The clouds are hanging low over the mountaintops. It's just a, a gorgeous view on the lake. I've been here now, like I said, into my 15th year full-time and very comfortable living outside the States. Yeah, I still do the investment conferences, still got family in the States, get up all the time to see everybody. Maybe it's not for everybody. With my service with the Common Stock Warrant, I can be literally anywhere in the world that I want to be and keep the service going. As long as I've got good internet access, me and my Mac, we're anywhere and we're in business. I've been here, lots of great friends, just lost one of my best friends on Monday. It's it's a cool place to be. Literally 45 minutes, so we're in the downtown Guadalajara. Restaurants to die for, shopping to die for, and everything that you hear in the press negative on Mexico is probably 99% BS. But I'm proud to call myself an expatriate. I mean, I obviously, I'm still a U.S. citizen. I have no intention of taking it to the next level to renounce citizenship. But I'm very comfortable, and all of us down here, I think we would, thousands of Americans and Canadians, we're proud to live here. We'd definitely say we're all expatriates, but we're still 
keeping our citizenship. I don't know personally anybody that's ever renounced their citizenship. People may think about it, talk about it, but at the end of the day, it'd be a tough decision, be a tough call. How affected are you by all this talk of government shutdown in the U.S.? Does that even enter your world of concern at all? You know, I guess it really doesn't. I mean, the last few days I've been so busy with the other personal issues and the passing of a friend and helping out that I haven't paid a lot of attention. Pretty much backed about as far away as I ever have from my computer over the last 72 hours. I guess I ought to ask the question, uh, I haven't checked my bank account. I'm an old civil service employee. I'm assuming that my check showed up. I'm assuming that everybody's social security check showed up. I haven't looked to see. So maybe I'm more affected personally than I thought. Normally these things tend to get worked out. It just seems like total gridlock. It's just really depressing and discouraging to watch the news that the politicians can't do their job and make some reasonable compromises, you know, on both sides if necessary. You just got to get this gridlock out of the equation. And we got so many issues, of course, in the resource sector. We're looking, you know, is this good for gold, not good for gold? I don't know. Gold's just locked right in this little range right now. It almost seems like this is not going to be a news-driven event that's going to take gold up or down. It's a cycle issue. Somehow it's a timing issue right here. Gold is waiting for something. You know, we had, what, one good 30-day update, you know, I guess when an announcement of the government shut down, uh, and a $30 update, and then the next day it loses half of that. So the daily volatility is there, and I think we're just marking time more so on a calendar before gold's really ready to go. Hopefully the bottom is in place. I'm still, I know I've been holding out that we may still have one more down leg to go. It's still a possibility. Even though a while ago I almost started to log into my brokerage account and buy a small position in one new company. I still want to do a little bit of nibbling here. I guess I'm not too plugged into the current news on the shutdown, and hopefully this will all get resolved soon. Well, Dudley, for us to find out about new opportunities, we need to follow you on CommonStockWarrants.com. You betcha. We've got the only place where you can get the list. The list, the list, the only list of all of the stock warrants that are trading in the U.S. and in Canada. And yeah, I'm not sure if we told the listeners, but we will be presenting a workshop in San Francisco. I think those dates are November 25 and November 26. We're going to be talking about stock warrants, private placements versus those uh, warrants that are trading. That's pretty cool. So anybody in the in San Francisco area listening, whether you're a subscriber or not, hopefully you get on board as a subscriber. We'd be welcome to see you and visit with you and, and all that good stuff stuff in San Francisco, so that'd be cool. Well, I look forward to driving up the coast to the conference with you when you come out here. We'll make a fun time out of it. We sure will. You betcha. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Okay, thank you. I've been chatting this week again with Dudley Baker of CommonStockWarrants.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. The preceding segment has been sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited, trading on the CNSX as XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur Resources is a Toronto-based emerging junior gold producer focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines that include a gold mine currently producing in Zacatecas, Mexico.
Contact our sponsor companies directly. They're on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its Dumbo Zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. It's nice to be joining you again. Catch us up with the latest doings with regard to Alkane Resources and the Dubbo Zirconia Project, and of course, the Tommingly Gold Project. A lot's been going on. Obviously, the two projects are advancing now at a fairly busy pace, uh, but with Dubbo, first of all, I think we've talked previously about the joint venture we put in place with Tribarker, the Austrian special metal alloy company. There now, we have a deal with them that will take, uh, will help us, first of all, produce high-quality ferro-niobium, and then uh, also they'll take all of the output so that was a, a good thing to get out of the way. The environmental impact statement is in with the government and hopefully in the next week or so goes to the next major step which is public exhibitions and so it'll get reviewed by uh, the public and any other interested parties. Big steps in that area. Meanwhile we continue on our marketing exercise to make sure we can sell all of our products and the financing side of it's also pushing forward and fortunately there are some glimmers out there, a glimmer of hope out there that the finance world has started to improve and we do see some certainly in the debt market some substantial funding become available so that's Dubbo in a nutshell and then Tommingly the construction's about 70% completed so we're on target for a, probably a February start up to start producing gold at this stage. Gold market's still a bit nervous, it's still a bit fragile and swings pretty dramatically from time to time but given that the Australian dollar has weakened against the US dollar our gold price has gone up reasonably strongly in the last month so we're now looking at a, a pretty good Australian dollar price which should see us producing around about $25-30 million a year cash flow so that'll be great to get that price project up and running and that'll be doing that cash flow during 2014. So yeah, lot lot happening and uh, all good news. You have a new mining friendly Prime Minister in Australia. You've done well under a Labour government. Do you think you'll do even better under a mining friendly Conservative government? Look, we believe so. I I guess Conservative governments tend to claim that they're more business friendly. They're certainly claiming to be more mining friendly. That's uh, because one of their first plans is to remove the mining tax, which the previous government put in about two years ago. Uh, and that was a tax on excess profits, as they called it, which is an interesting terminology in its own right. Uh, they're also talking about revamping or removing the carbon tax, which we've had imposed on us also for the last year or so. So if they can do those things in the next six months, it'll certainly be a positive step forward for us. Now, what about New South Wales? Will that have anything to do with the regional government and your projects? Not specifically, although the New South Wales government has been a conservative government now for about three years, so um, that's had some changes. The state governments tend not to have dramatic impact on the industries generally. Um, you certainly would hope that a conservative government would be more pro-mining, but in New South Wales they've still got a few issues that they've got to sort out, and mainly to do with land use conflict. We have mining operations conflicting with prime agricultural land. and and those sorts of issues. So that one still hasn't been resolved very clearly. Uh, There's still some ongoing problems, but again, fortunately, it doesn't impact on where we operate. How close are you to production with regard to DZP? at this stage, the target is still early 2016, so the, the key steps for us now are, as I mentioned, the EIS is in with the government, it's about to go through the next stage. We believe that should be approved by the middle of next year, and that should line up pretty well with our financing program. It, it's a big amount of money, we're talking about a billion dollar project, so there's a lot of work involved in putting that 
that in place. The current belief is that that should be around the middle of next year as well. If we can do that, and also at the beginning of next year, maybe bring forward some of the long lead items, including things like doing detailed design. If we can do all the engineering detailed design, it'll start that at the beginning of the year. Put the order in for some of the long lead items, and one of our biggest is a sulfuric acid plant. If we can lodge the orders for that, then once we get the final uh, approval in place, plus the financing, we can go into construction in the second half of 2014. That should then lead us to production early in 2016. So the target is still achievable, we believe. There's obviously still some hurdles, but we're still comfortable we can get into production early 2016. So it just takes time to put all of that in place. It's not like you could start tomorrow, even if you could. No, that's right. I mean, first of all, state approvals, the important thing to get out of the way, and uh, there is a lot of bureaucracy to work our way through with that. And of course, the financing. When you go out to raise a billion dollars, it doesn't matter what the project is, whether it's rare metals, rare earth, or gold, or iron ore, or something like that. It still takes a fair bit of time to put it all together. You know, I'd love to say, yes, we could start constructing uh, next month, but uh, the reality is we're still maybe a good eight to nine months away from that. Ian, once again, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks again for joining me today on the program. Uh, Thanks, Ellis. Thank you. I've been speaking with the Managing Director and CEO of Alcane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website. EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for an interview with Carter Clues. Carter Clues is an award-winning writer as well as a veteran marketing and public relations consultant with clients in the political arena and private sector. As creative director at Information Communications, he helped market the original Psychic Friends Network. The Psychic Friends Network Incorporated is a publicly traded company and a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Trading under the symbol PFNI. Carter, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Ellis. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Now, you and I are both investors in the Psychic Friends Network, and I'm going to ask you straight out, why are you an investor, and what do you see as the potential for the company and shareholders of PFNI? Ellis, I'm an investor because I think the uh, Psychic Friends Network has great potential, and that's based on both its past track record, of which I was a part, I'm pleased to say, and what I see as future developments. When you say you were part of the past of the company, does this mean that you helped get the network up and running in the early 90s? Yes, in the early 90s, I was part of the original Psychic Friends Network when we started out with virtually next to nothing and ended up with the only infomercial that made a billion dollars, the only billion dollar infomercial in TV history. As a matter of fact, at one time, the Psychic Friends Network was the only TV show that was on 24 hours somewhere in the world other than I Love Lucy. So that's a pretty good track record. It was extremely popular. So you've been a shareholder for a long time then? No, because remember, the original Psychic Friends Network was privately owned, so there were no shares to hold. I wrote the Psychic Friends Network. I helped write the Psychic Friends Network. It was part of the productions and worked on all the promotional material. I was employed by the Psychic Friends Network at that time. So you're a new shareholder, as this company has just been public for a year or two, correct? I am a new shareholder of the new Psychic Friends Network, and I was eager to become a shareholder based upon the track record that we established. We were doing $200 million a year back in the days when calling a psychic and getting psychic readings was very new to people. When you talked about psychics back in those days, Ellis, you know, it was a cold water walk up in some back alley. Psychic Friends Network took it from that to prime time. And now, you know, we're in a position where we can not only take it back to prime time, 
but also bring in a whole new audience of young people, and people are plugged in and wired, and I think that's very exciting. Now, I'd like to stress that you and I are in this for financial gain. We'd like to see the stock price go up. We absolutely want to see the stock price go up. Obviously, as stockholders, the higher the stock prices rise, the better it is for us, and it's wonderful for my part to be involved in the kind of marketing activities and strategic development that I believe will help those stock prices rise. Well, the share price is near two cents now. What do you think will bring the price up potentially? The reason I think people are going to invest in the new Psyche Friends Network is they're going to look at the track record of the DFN Psyche Friends Network in its original incarnation. Realize the team that put that together is now back and putting the new Psyche Friends Network together. And they're also going to realize that we're going in new directions now, which frankly, I believe can be even more profitable, more profitable for this reason. The production costs are much less. Now, in the coming months, you're going to see the website is up now. They're going to see that. They're going to see that it's new and exciting. It has live video chat. Plus, the first commercial is in the can now. I've seen it. Matter of fact, I did a press release on it. When people start to see that, they're going to say, wow, this is the same quality, the same type of compelling message that the original Psychic Friends Network put out. And I think people are going to respond, callers and investors. Like any other entertainment service on the internet, a user is going to be able to dial in either on your iPhone, iPad, or other smartphone or tablet and pay just a few dollars for that entertainment. Absolutely. You're going to be able to come in on your smartphone, on your home phone. You're going to be able to come in on your computer, on Skype, from anywhere in the world and pay just a few dollars for the entertainment component of the Psyche Friends Network. It is very entertaining and to me it's also very informative. Well, certainly many in the financial sector and in the general public at large do not know that this is a publicly traded company and when they find out, one could see a a great deal of attention once again to the share price or the stock. I think when people see it's out there for the bargain price they can get them right now, it's a penny stock, obviously. They're going to realize this is a low-risk, potentially high-reward investment that has a track record of success, the Psychic Friends Network. And they're going to be able to look back and see where it was previously when we dominated the field. And I think they're going to say, hey, this is a shot I want to take. And I think they can look forward to a very rewarding experience. Well, Carter, I certainly do appreciate your speaking with me today on the Ellis Martin Report. I look forward to chatting with you again in the near future as the Psychic Friends Network continues its rollout. It's really, Ellis. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. I've been chatting with public relations consultant Carter Clues, who is also an investor of our client company, the Psychic Friends Network Incorporated, trading under the symbol PFNI. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire program on iTunes. Getting hungry? Eat knowledge. Find it at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. In this segment, I'm speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. Prophecy Platinum is a mining company focused on the acquisition and development of Platinum Group Metals, PGM projects, in politically stable, mining-friendly jurisdictions. Prophecy's 100% owned Wellgreen property is one of the world's largest underdeveloped nickel sulfide projects with a very unique platinum and palladium resource that creates very compelling economics economics that you'll hear about in this interview. Mr. Johnson has a long history in the mining sector, beginning with Placer Dome, now Barrick Gold. He was a co-founder of widely successful Nova Gold and most recently helmed South American Silver. Greg, welcome back to 
to the program. It's good to be back. Now, you've been able to further identify the PGMs, the Platinum Group Metals, at the Wellgreen Project in the Canadian Yukon. We've kicked off our exploration program mid-summer, and we've been working away drilling in, in some of the areas that uh, have had known mineralization. And we were drilling at the east end of the deposit into an area that uh, had historically been recognized as, as part of the, the main Wellgreen tabular deposit. This is a zone that's between 300 and 900 feet in thickness and runs you know, several grams of uh, PGM metal per ton and drilled into something, uh, a new zone that we're quite excited about. It extends the, the main tabular Wellgreen deposit into what looks like connects it to uh, another deposit called the North Arm and potentially could be a much larger ore body and has uh, some pretty spectacular grades in it, uh, zones that are running you know, four to five grams in platinum metals. And uh, that's, that's pretty exciting material. Now, come on, Greg, you're leaving something out here. There's too much excitement in your voice. What haven't you told us yet? Well, this new discovery is quite exciting, and we don't yet have the assays back from the laboratory, but geologically, we have just drilled the biggest geologic intersection we've ever had on the property. Some 800 meters of continuous ultramafic rocks, and ultramafic rocks are, like diamonds, the host of our platinum mineralization. And so it's by far the largest intercept we've ever had on the property. The team's pretty excited because that was what we were hoping we might hit in that hole. We discussed it in our news release that we posted here just recently, if listeners are interested to take a look at the, at the maps, but you know, we're excited that we're on to something really significant here, and this could be really a significant new development for the project. Excellent. So when can we hear more news about it? You know, we're anticipating we all should have a good flow of news coming out over the next month or two, particularly these results of this big hole that we've drilled on the new discovery in the Far East. Uh, listeners should be ready for news. They can go to our website and sign up for our email list if they'd like to get it as soon as it comes out. But we should have a good steady flow of news here over the next month or two. Platinum, we could say of late, has been on par with gold, if not a little higher. And of course, it's an industrial metal as well. It's used in catalytic converters, and that market never ceases to grow. Pretty much we've been seeing year-on-year growth almost continuously since the 1980s in the uh, platinum palladium demand, largely going into catalytic converters. And of course, with increasing environmental standards in the first world and particularly adoption of new environmental standards in the, in the third world, in the developing world, that's really where the, the growth is going to continue to come out of. And while there are pockets of gold all over the planet, platinum and palladium are more rare. Yeah, kind of like diamonds. These things occur quite rarely around the planet. They're there are a few areas, southern Africa, some areas in Russia, and a couple of areas in North America. The Stillwater Mine is down in Montana. There's a mine up in Ontario, and then there's our project. It's a really short list of large deposits outside of southern Africa and Russia. One of the things about the Canadian Yukon is you've got all kinds of access to the property, and there are no political issues to speak of. Canada is a very mining-friendly jurisdiction, and the Yukon is considered one of the, the best mining jurisdictions within Canada. Our project is, is quite fortunate in that oftentimes, you know, in, in today's world for exploration, you're typically looking at two kinds of projects, either the very, very remote or the very politically high risk, and that's why these deposits are still in place. In this case, the Wellgreen deposit is in the Yukon, which, you know, is, you know, one of our 
kind of emerging regions in North America, but it's right off of the Alaska Highway, and we have a, a year-round access road that comes right off that paved highway and have access to, to two different port facilities we could use for the project. So it really is quite a unique situation that way in that, you know, it is in the in the Canadian north, but rather than requiring exotic ice roads and other things to get there, we can drive right to the front door. How do you think your potentially significant assets are factored into the value of your stock currently? Any of your listeners that have been following the mining space know that we've been going through a bear market here for the last two and a half, you know, going on three years now. That's truly exceptional to see that length of correction. Some analysts think that maybe the bottom was put in late this summer and that things are, are starting to turn. And certainly, you know, some of the bigger companies in particular are, are well up off their lows. It is a, a market that has brought many of the valuations of these companies down you know, 50, 60, 90% uh, is not unusual. And so our company, along with others, are trading at extremely attractive valuation levels for investors to be looking at for the first time. It's an opportunity to be buying these things at, you know, a fraction of where they were trading just a year or two ago on the same fundamentals. And in our particular case, where the fundamentals are so much stronger for the platinum group metals with falling supply and rising demand, uh, which has actually created a, a deficit where today industrial demand exceeds mining supply, we've got a, a situation that I think is, is quite unique. And because of its favorable location and size of the deposit, that over 7 million ounces of platinum metals is quite unique. Is that like a $10 billion asset potentially? If you do the in-the-ground metal value, which of course doesn't factor in the cost of building your mine and, and mining it, you are looking at numbers that are in the billions of dollars of metal value. Of course, you, you have to uh, invest the time and, and the engineering and you know, get your permits and, and build your things. So you've got a time factor, and then you know, you've also got the production costs. But because our particular project comes along with other metals, such as copper and nickel, uh, it would be a very low-cost operation. We're probably going to be producing platinum metal for you know, something around $800 an ounce. The industry average right now is, is closer to uh, $1,500 an ounce, but our margins would be quite good at uh, the current price of, of platinum, which is around $1,500. The industry margins are so low because up until this point, production is being done in Russia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, where the PGMs are not open pitable or easily accessible, and the cost of labor and other issues are prohibitive. The geology of these deposits, in terms of where currently 80 or 90 percent of the world's production comes from, is such that these are fairly narrow zones, anywhere from a few feet wide up to maybe 10 feet wide, and typically mined at great depths. So these are not things that are easy to use equipment right at the surface, but instead, oftentimes you see people mining a mile deep or more. The earth is very hot at those depths. You have to refrigerate the workings. It's very labor-intensive. It really can't be mechanized. And with rising labor costs, particularly in South Africa, very, very challenging working conditions and rising energy costs, it's really made it so that many of those mines are no longer economic at today's price of platinum. Now, that's not a very nice thing if you're that company and, and trying to make money, but it also means that you can't continue to have those prices without some of those mines shutting down. And it means those companies are not reinvesting into exploration. So it kind of sets up a situation where you could have an explosive rise in price due to continually falling supply from those high-cost mines and this rising demand where suddenly the market needs to reprice the metal in order to incentivize new projects to come on and, and any above-ground stockpiles to get sold into the market. I'm sure many of our listeners would like to know what your plan for the company moving forward is. 
Will you take Wellgreen into production, or do you intend on being a takeout candidate either for this project or for the entire company? We have a project here that, that could be a project that a small company such as ours could take to production. Ultimately, in order to really maximize the resource we have, this will probably be developed as a very large mine, and that would probably need a, a partner of some kind, either a smelting group or a major mining company. But we believe we have the team in place to be able to advance this project through feasibility and to de-risk the project and re-rate the valuation. And when we get to that point of production with our current plans, this is something that looks like that we could take forward, or because of its attractiveness, and the low political risk and low cost structure, it may be a very attractive either takeout candidate or partnership candidate for one of the major platinum mining companies. What kind of conversations are you having now with potential takeout or JV partnerships? We're about two years away from feasibility stage, and typically you see those kinds of transactions happen at you know at least pre-feasibility or feasibility, sometimes at the current engineering stage we're at. So I think we've got a couple of years yet before we're likely to be you know, imminently taken out, but we are seeing strong interest from both producers of the metal from the base metal side as well as the PGMs. Uh, we've got a number of parties that are signing confidentiality agreements to review our information. And I think that's all very positive that the interest level is, is quite strong already at this, at this stage and that that will likely continue to develop as we advance our engineering studies and demonstrate the viability of the project. So you're more excited than when I spoke with you a few months ago, and you were excited then. Well, you know, things have been progressing for us. The markets, uh, we were able to raise money late in the summer, and in this market, any money uh, that you can access is a real demonstration of the quality of your asset and your team. So yeah, we're quite excited about the project. We're quite excited about this new discovery and the implications that that could have, and looking forward to seeing more news come out over the next couple of months as we continue our, our exploration program this season. Well, Greg, you're trading at near 68 cents, which is less than half your 52-week high. So, in fact, this may be a potential buying opportunity. We certainly look forward to further updates from you down the road. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Well, we look forward to just speaking with you again on the next update. I've been speaking with Greg Johnson, the CEO of Prophecy Platinum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as PNIKF. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Xterra Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Xterra plans to become a mid-tier producer of silver and base metals through the development of its Bilbao deposit located in the central Mexican mineral belt in the state of Zacatecas, as well as through additional exploration and acquisition opportunities. Find Xterra on the web at xterra.ca. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Ellis. I'm wondering if we would have been taxed less under the British. <laughs> well, it's uh, par for the course, as they say. It's definitely times when uh, the more you promise goodies, somebody's got to pay for it. A lot of people don't still to realize is that the government really doesn't create anything. It's a transfer agent. They transfer from the productive 
to mostly the less productive. And that's not to say that we aren't cognizant of people that probably aren't as fortunate. I certainly contribute voluntarily to some causes that I believe in and that type of thing. But you're sitting there working really, really hard and you just don't seem to be getting ahead. You kind of feel like your hamster on one of those wheels. It can be discouraging and I think a lot of Americans feel that way right now. Well, with the passing and implementation of Obamacare, doesn't the taxation affect everyone, including those that are much less fortunate than either you or I? Indeed. We did a study on it very brief in the Morgan Report this month. I debated whether or not to put it in there. But it was pretty objective. I mean, basically, it took a case of with or without Obamacare and what it would mean to someone that was had hired an employee. And it's very crystal clear the decision that would have to be made. And so it's really a draft on the economy. Now, the idea that, you know, everybody that's in the continent and Alaska and Hawaii has got health care and all that, that sounds very noble, but who pays for it? And you know, part of the problem is it's not a free market system. It's mandated. And before the Obamacare, it was a mess because the insurance companies are involved. There's all these fees and paperwork and all this stuff that's required that adds costs slows the system, makes it less efficient, contradictory stuff state to state. You're traveling across state lines because you were hurt over here, but your insurance doesn't cover it in that state. I mean, on and on it goes. So it's a mess. It really should have been kind of like scratched and started over, and I don't think it's a national policy. I don't think it's, you know, something that is a given benefit just because you're born here that you get health care coverage. But it does objectively study with just the numbers involved. It doesn't help. It hurts. Let's talk about the paper money trail, which you've been writing about. I can hardly see my feet while I wade through it. Really, there's maybe some misunderstanding, and I'm probably guilty of it myself, which is, you know, there's this printing going on. Well, really, it's borrowing. So we're in debt, we're borrowing more. So it's uh, analogous to somebody with a credit card. It's really a good analogy. So you have a credit card, and you have a limit on that credit card. And all you're able to do is barely make your interest payments on that credit card. Now you've hit the ceiling of it. You have a $5,000 limit, you hit the limit, but you got to keep going and you don't take enough in to do anything more, but you got to, you know, you're forced to do it. You really think, oh, you, you need something new. You got to buy something new, whatever it is. So what you do is you go to the credit card company and you say, oh, I just need to, you need up my limit. Well, you're at the limit. So this argument goes back and forth. And Okay, you're up the limit. Well, now you're worse off than you were before because you could barely afford the interest payments before. And now the limit gets extended again. And you keep doing this again and again, year after year, time and time again. So you get to a point now where to make just the interest payments, what you've got to do is you've got to call your uncle and say, look, you know, I know that I owe you a bunch of money, but all I really need is 200 bucks this month. And that 200 bucks goes straight into the credit card interest only payment which is basically what the Federal Reserve is doing. If you look over John Williams' work that I received last night, I've been a subscriber to his work for a long time, but his most recent update was yesterday. Basically, said from the beginning of the year till now, 100% of the Treasury market has been supplied by the Federal Reserve. So you're in that situation. So the analogy, as corny as it sounds, is a pretty good analogy. You've got a credit card that's maxed out. Now, that's the current account deficit. That's what we owe as of today. That's what you've done with that credit card in your pocket over the last few years. The long-term liabilities is what you owe in the future, and those are way beyond the $17 trillion that we keep talking about. So there's really no way in the world that this could be paid off at present value. In other words, a dollar worth the three and a half cents that it's worth now relative to what it was in 1913. 
can't be done. So you're going to inflate it away, or it's probably going to be a combination of things. It'll be more inflation. It'll probably be some debt that's reneged on. In other words, it's just payments won't be made. Do you think that the banking crisis, which went down a few years ago, along with the Feds pumping money into the banks, contributed to this debt issue in a way that's irreparable? Yeah, I think the crash of 2008 were to manifest was beyond repair. So my view is that even though we've had some betterment in the system, that has never been reconciled, and nor can it be. So if we back up and look at what happened there, there's a lot of things that happened, but the main crux was that there was a lot of these mortgage-backed securities and uh, these pooled accounts, these securitized debt notes, and these credit default swaps, and all these derivatives that a lot of it revolved around real estate. And it got to the point where Bank A and Bank B didn't trust each other's paper. In other words, this securitized note that was a bunch of mortgages pulled together, Bank B said, I don't want it. You know, I, I, you know, it says it's worth, a, you know, make up a number, it's worth $400 million, and I don't want to give you four cents for it. You know, and so basically the system was about to freeze up. Bank A didn't trust Bank B, Bank C didn't trust Bank A or B, and none of the banks were trusting each other's paper. In other words, their debt. Not all the debt, but primarily, again, these mortgage-backed securities. And then these credit default swaps, which were supposed to protect these mortgages went bad. Well, those weren't going to happen either. In other words, there wasn't enough money in the system to make the insurance good. So what happened was the Fed came in and started waving their arms, that's me speaking, not them, and said, look, A, you don't trust B, B, you don't trust A, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make good on this stuff, and I'm going to substitute it with treasury paper. And everybody trusts United States Treasury paper because, after all, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. But really what that means is it's based on the workload of the capacity of the people out there that are working for a living, that they'll be able to pay it off for the government. They're spending that money on your behalf without you having much say in it. But no one really goes that far very often. So the banks say, oh, fine, well, we'll take that. So this is part of this ongoing $85 billion per month, and that's the minimum. Really, a lot of times the interest that rolls over and accrues to the Fed gets spent for even more than $85 billion. Two months ago, it was $114 million that they spent. But regardless, they're buying this toxic debt, these mortgages and T-bills, to basically relieve the banks of a major problem, which was bad loans. Bad loans that couldn't be paid. So those bad loans are still the beginning of the end. Well, that's part of it. I mean, it's a big picture, and I don't want to make it complicated because it's pretty simple. It's debt. It's debt in all forms, really. It's these mortgage debts, which was one of the primary causes of the 2008 problem. It really happened in 2007, manifest in 2008. So that's part of it. But it's all kinds of debt that can't be paid. I mean, some of these bond issues that are floated in the municipal level, the school bond for ABC in Virginia or those type of things. I mean, it's municipalities. Look at Detroit. It's bonds at the municipal level, at the city level, at the county level. It's the stalwart of all, the U.S. Treasury bonds. It's the securitized debt mortgages. It's all kinds of debt. And basically, we're over-indebted. It cannot be paid. There isn't enough productive capacity. We could triple our productive capacity and maybe get out of this thing. But I don't see it going up 300%. And people can't work 24 hours a day. They're not that productive. Because you know, it's impossible. You know, I don't want to be too big a gloomer, but it's very difficult. And it isn't like it hasn't been done before. I mean, these fiat systems always end badly. 
and they always end because of a debt crisis, or almost cases that end as a result of a debt crisis. So how much further can it go? What other tricks or what other rabbits are going to pull out a hat? What else can happen? You know, I don't know. I don't have a perfect crystal ball. I have looked at it. I mean, again, I think we've talked on your show before, Ellis, but read Collapse of Complex Societies, and it goes through, like, from the Byzantine Empire onward on different societies and how they rise and fall. We're in a situation where the economy, in my view, certainly hasn't recovered, not the physical economy. Maybe the financial markets have done better, and that's okay, but financial markets aren't the real economy. How many places around you, Ellis, have got help wanted signs around? Well, not very many. Yeah, there's not a bunch of help wanted signs. There are some jobs available, and they're mostly pretty high-skilled jobs. And there's a lot of, you know, service jobs. I mean, a lot of people that are back and quote-unquote employed are people that used to have a higher skill set that couldn't find something in their normal work capacity, and they're working at a job that doesn't pay as well. That's maybe a service job or something like that. So I don't really see the kind of boom that we had in the 90s when we were going into this huge technology thrust that went from, pick a number, 1990 to 2000 or so. I mean, that's high tech, and there was all the software and the storage places, and the computer industry was just booming. That's history. That has not happened, and I don't see it taking off again. In the computer industry, most people did need, or at least could make use of, or by having a computer could increase their productivity, or at least that was the sales pitch. You know, that was a big boom for a long time. But I don't see anything around the corner. Not that there isn't one. Not that I'm not missing something. In fact, I hope I am missing something. I hope there's something huge like that just down the road. But I don't see it. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Xterra Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Xterra is a Toronto-based resource company, and their primary project is the Bilbao Silver-Zinc-Lead-Copper Deposit, situated in the Panfio Natera district of Zacatecas, Mexico, approximately 50 kilometers south of the state capital of Zacatecas, where Xterra is currently completing a bankable feasibility study. Between the company's Bilbao, Laguna, and Panfio projects, Xterra has a resource of 100 million silver equivalent ounces, including 33 million ounces silver in 43101 compliant resource. Zacatecas is a well-known mining district with infrastructure in place. Mining opportunities are both open pit and underground. There are no significant environmental issues, and there is an available local workforce there, as well as goods and services for development of the projects. You can find a full investor prospectus on Xterra's website. Just log on to xterra.ca or find their logo and click through on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. And we're back. Is China now pricing themselves out of the labor market? Are we going to see more factories open up in the U.S.? That would turn around a portion of the economy, wouldn't it? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I was just on uh, this Retirement Revolution webinar, and L.A. Gould was on there. Very smart guy, and talked about, you know, energy costs are so low in the U.S., especially natural gas, that we actually have an advantage for manufacturing now. So, yeah, there could be a rebirth of manufacturing here. I am a bit skeptical of it, but it could. Perhaps it will. I'm not sure. The main idea for me is that what is the capacity globally and how distorted is it? I mean, people in China certainly want a higher standard of living for the most part. Can that be achieved? Yes. Is it being achieved? No. Why? Because they cut the Keynesian disease from the Western bankers and they've misallocated capital. They built cities that no one could afford to move into, these great big apartments. I think last time I checked, it's been a while, there was like 30 million empty housing developments. In other words, 30 million apartments, if you will. Well, 30 million 
is a huge number. I mean, Canada's population is around that. So this is unfilled space. So if they had gone where the market determined, you know, what size building and that type of thing and what price and the market determined the price, there'd probably be a lot more people in the cities working or whatever. Now they've got these situations where they're really a problem for China. And of course, their economy is slowing down and they've done their best, like the U.S., to try to pump it up, feed more money into it. Well, if you feed more money into it and put it where you think it's done best from top-down planning or central planning, it's been proven all, always, everywhere, every time it doesn't work. It's a bottom-up approach that works the best. A currency crisis usually dictates a strong correlation to a surge in gold and silver prices. And stocks, we've seen it before. We're not seeing it now while we remain in the crisis. When do we see the reconnect between the two? I'm probably not going to like the answer. I think we've got about two years before we really get back up to, like, all-time high in silver, which means like $50. For gold, I think we can get into the $1,900 level probably in 2014. Gold probably could lead silver, maybe not in percentage terms, but it will be at its nominal high, which is at the $1,900 plus level. And I think it can be there probably next year's time frame. Silver, I'm not so sure. I think silver's got much more upward resistance than gold. It moves more wildly up and down. But all that aside, I mean, there's so much going on in the financial markets, and these markets are so teeny tiny that they can move overnight. I mean, basically, if there's a lot of demand, forget everything I just said, they can move very quickly. So barring that, I think you're going to see up from here, pretty much. But we're at $22 silver now, and we're at 48 So we've got to work through everything at the... 26 level that's been there for a while, then everything at 28, then at 30, then at 31, 2, and 3, then at 35, and then once we get above that level, then it's going to be able to move up to four, in the 40s fairly easily, but how long will that take? And the answer is probably will take several months to work through all of that. It may not, but that's the way markets normally act, and gold's a similar story. Gold, I think, has a stronger base and more interest in it than silver. We know that. It's a much bigger market than silver. And the Chinese have kind of got the Chinese put, meaning that, you know, anytime it's in the low 1300s, they're willing to buy more than their big stroke that they're already buying. So there's a lot of demand for physical gold. I'm not sure that the physical demand for silver is that big in Asia. We did a special report from Leo Chang, who actually translates the Morgan Report into Chinese. So he's there, he deals in the coin market. And he gave us his take on the ground. Of course, now this is one fairly good-sized dealer, so we're not trying to base the whole Chinese silver demand on one pretty good-sized coin shop. Nonetheless, it's real empirical evidence. We know what it's like from him in a small area, and how much can you take that and project out? I don't know, but we did get the idea that you know gold is much more prevalent and wanted, I'd say, in Asia than silver is. Not that it's not wanted, but it's not known as much as an investment. Oh, I think that's changing as well. I've seen that just in my trips to Hong Kong, but nonetheless, Asia, for the most part, gets the gold story. Asia, for the most part, doesn't really understand silver. And to hear and read more of David Morgan's thoughts and analysis, it's themorganreport.com. I'm a subscriber. How does everyone else become one? Well, I think the best thing to do is just get on our free list. It's right there at the uh, top of the page, and if not, you can just click one of the 
pull-down menus that get on the free list. Once you're on the free list, then you're allowed to subscribe to the Morgan Report for a 30-day free trial. So you get into the members-only part of the website. You can see several reports. You can see everything. You can see all the special reports, all the updates, all the videos. I mean, there's a lot there. Too much, basically, even just to describe and you have that access for 30 days and then after that you make a decision whether it's for you or not so I think that's the best way to approach it David once again thanks for joining me today on the program my pleasure thank you I've been speaking with the silver guru money metals and mining analyst David Morgan his website is themorganreport.com listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website ellismartreport.com or download the entire ellismart report on iTunes the preceding segment has been sponsored by Xterra Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Xterra plans to become a mid-tier producer of silver and base metals through the development of its Bilbao deposit located in the central Mexican mineral belt in the state of Zacatecas, as well as through additional exploration and acquisition opportunities. Find Xterra on the web at xterra.ca. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. What? It's over. No, it can't be true. What will I do? What will I say? Wh what? Oh, oh this. <clears throat> Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Then they run right back to work and get jiggy with getting busy. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is a unit of Big Sky Productions Incorporated. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy. Ciao, babies. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.